Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Japan by River Cruise. This week, we'd like to thank Sakamichi Fan Club, who bought us another five coffees to get another crack at trying to spell Matthew Boynton correctly. Keep it up. <laughs> also, I wonder how long we can make this game go on for. <laughs> uh, um, also, uh, T-B-A-N-P-O-D, never heard of them, bought a coffee. They said, you know what you need to do. Block you, it seems. It's a curdy nut is now a member. Uh, she says, Kotoshi mo She watched figure skating instead of going to our Christmas nomikai, but listening to the podcast is a weekly habit. Cheers. Cheers to you too. Cheers. And also, I like the fact that habit makes it sound bad. Um, also, Tim uh, claimed a JBRC laptop sticker set, despite the fact that he already received some stickers or should have received some stickers uh, just by being a member. So, thank you very much, Tim. And Pat Sheehy joined as a member again because his bank flagged us as a possibly fraudulent payment. So, he's doing it again. Pat, fool you once, shame on us. Fool you twice, shame Shame on you. And with that, let's take a listen to the message from our corporate sponsor. This week's message is brought to you by the world's first ever social media-powered river cruise. The future of the river cruise industry is here. Brought to you by the good folks at Google Insta Twitbook and equipped with state-of-the-art, presumably AI technology and proprietary algorithms to tend to your every need in the current global political, economic, and health landscape. With thermal sensors to check your body temperature to determine if you pose a threat to others and need to be isolated, audio-visual sensors to check your speech and behavior to determine if you pose a threat to others and need to be isolated, and predictive thought sensors to check to determine if you will pose a threat to others in the near future and need to be isolated now. Grounded in the same philosophies and practices that have done so much good in other periods of human history, and now with smoother-than-ever dock-to-water launching with our patented Slippery Slope. So everyone, all aboard the censorship! The censorship is currently booked for the foreseeable future by parties of actual dictators, fascist Nazis, and white supremacists. But don't worry, sooner or later, it'll be your turn. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And boku no namae wa oli And joining us this week is Loretta Scott, a.k.a. Kemushi-chan, prolific J-vlogger, startup junkie, and author of the upcoming book, Learn Japanese Through Fairy Departure Announcements. Loretta, thanks for joining us. Hajimemashite, Loretta desu. I just had to go with Ollie. Hey, guys, it's Loretta. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Our pleasure. On this week's show... Language learning is a journey, at times slow, lazy, and meandering, and at times twisting and turning and raging, much like, well, no appropriate comparisons come to mind right now. But we'll talk to Loretta about her own Japanese learning journey, as well as her experience coaching not only friends, but total strangers on their own journeys. Plus, Ollie's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ollie? Yes, later in the show, I'll share this week's recommendation, which is a river cruise in Kyoto that has taken an innovative approach to employee compensation, meaning that the cruise can take as long as a full day to complete, depending on how the boat's people feel. The reason? They pay Japan's minimum wage, but permit their employees to work with a commensurate amount of effort. Minimal. Also, good luck to all the Japanese River Cruise Academy entrance exam test takers out there this week. We'll do a total rundown of all the trick questions and trick knots that we lose points on every goddamn year. But first, Soap Talk. Loretta, it's great to be getting to speak to you again. Uh, we've worked a little bit together in the past, uh, haven't seen each other in a long time. You're the yeah. only one of us who is in Tokyo. 
What's the what's the second state of emergency soft reboot going like in Tokyo these days? It's uh, the softest reboot I have ever seen. It may not even <laughs> register on the scale. Yeah, for, for listeners that don't realize, she's actually recording this in an izakaya right now. I yeah, I know <laughs> this is the quietest izakaya. No, I'm actually in one of those uh, karaoke booths that you can get for free for the first ninety minutes. Are people out and about? Are they not really paying attention? So at this point, I think everyone's kind of like. I, you know, they're fending for themselves before it's, it's different even from the last, from the first state of emergency, which wasn't even uh, that intense in comparison to other countries. You know, I got a lot of flack on YouTube with like, why are you outside and where are you going? And it was like, I still have to go to work. Like I never, this never stopped. So there's still kind of the consensus is that if you have somewhere to be like work or elsewhere, you can still go places as long as it's to or from or on the way. Anything right. extra is like frowned on, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's, that's not what an emergency is. <laughs> it's a it's emergency because I'm on my way home. Yeah, you yeah exactly. You can't say, oh, quick, leave the house, leave the house. There's an emergency. Now nah, I'm in the middle of a Wii game and it, there's no auto save. And that's not. <laughs> it's an emergency. You leave. Well, the, the worst no part is the uh, everything closes at eight. I mean, that's not the worst thing at all. But you know, everything closes at eight. So by the time you get home <laughs> to your own neighborhood, everything's closed. You're like, oh crap! Now I have to eat another onigiri for dinner tonight. But yeah, no, I mean, it, it's uh, it's actually pretty chill here. And the one thing I will say is, it's not anywhere near as bad as Western media is saying. I get a lot of like random emails and comments of people asking oh my gosh is it going to be okay or what's going on over there and honestly the only thing i can say is don't read like western big western media because they're making up all kinds of things they're like oh yeah people in tokyo have holes in the middle of their masks i was like what actually i did see that though i did see an an orchestra practice where they'd ripped holes in a mask but that wasn't japan that was america uh (laughs) of course that that sounds about right Yeah. yeah But Bobby, there's still there's an emergency in Fukuoka too, isn't there? Yeah, there's a state of emergency here as well. Uh, again, I think a lot of times, a lot of people they they really followed the state of emergency voluntarily the first time around, mm-hmm. and it almost destroyed their businesses. It almost destroyed their livelihoods. And so the second time around, they're like, well, they don't want us to work past eight, but if we don't, our businesses will be lost. We'll go under. So people yeah. aren't really complying the way that they used to. Uh, the TV stations are because they're still held to higher account because we're on TV. So they've yeah. got us back doing remote stuff. I'm back in the Fukuoka studio for Saga TV. I'm back in the separate room for Asades. I'm back talking into an iPad again. Yeah, I, I did a couple of shows too. And we. Um, I got taxied into a recording room and then taxied out. But I never saw any of the other people in the actual like sound booth. It was a yeah. very intense. Are they still doing those daft masks? Where the coronavirus just has to jump over a little bit of transparent plastic. <laughs> no, no, they gave up on those. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and that's also, again, because of TV. Every time they put them on, they go like, well, as soon as people see us on TV wearing these, we get tweeted at saying, you know, don't you know those don't work? So it's all, it's so... It's, it's a all, learning curve. It's a learning curve, but also on TV, it's all for show. I don't know if I mentioned yeah. this on the show before, but when we were still doing like in studio shoots they had all the plexiglass dividers up between the seats but then depending on what segment you are the seating order rotates so it's just like musical (laughs) chairs you just go sit in somebody else's little booth (laughs) it's like it's pointless uh speaking of pointless um uh you and i are youtubers ali just put up his first ever youtube video I wanted to know if you had advice for a burgeoning YouTuber in like somebody who wants to start YouTube now. What would you say to Ali starting out on his YouTube journey? 
to be clear, I don't want to be a YouTuber. I, I can uh, I can see what it's done to Bobby. Um, <laughs> Makes you really kind and really have a great sense of perspective. But I'm waiting for my first dislike. I'm really, I'm genuinely scared of the first person that's going to thumb down the video. And oh, now did... I've released this podcast, I know it's going to be one of our listeners. Did my dislike not get counted? <laughs> Clearly not. We got to get in there, Bobby. We got to show them how, how you really make it big. Two dislikes. Yeah. On, on coming right up <laughs> and to tell you to go back to your country well that would make sense actually because it was filmed in australia um, <laughs> done Check. but, but loretta I, I followed your youtube for must be a decade now i, mean, I it's, apologize it's, it's just, it just seems it just seems like you're kind of part part of the youtube furniture yeah do, do you i mean we, we talked about this a bit in the extras but do you feel like a veteran like do you see tiktokers and go ah oh, you little whippersnappers you have no idea what it was like back in the old days when we had to put coal in our cameras to make them work or whatever it is you used to have to do there is a part of me who does because i'm still filming on the first camera i actually was gifted my camera by youtube they gave me a, like a visa gift card because i was part of this youtube edu guru thing when they were trying to see if education could work on yeah, youtube yeah. When, do you still have to pick your category i like you, ha um, you had to pick a category and guru was the one that all the j vloggers picked just because it was the only one that applied mistake. <laughs> We should have done comedy because it was all a joke. No, I was kidding. No. Um, no, I mean, you can still pick your category, but it's it's a lot lighter like, than that. In Japan, pick Guru. That's really Orientalist, isn't it? I was like, this feels wrong. Well, it's a very it's a very different world than it, than it used to be. I realized I looked at my YouTube stats for the first time and just the way the system has changed so much. I p was able to pull up a stat that said how many of my followers uh, are subscribed, not only subscribed, but like put that little notification bell button on. Yeah. I stopped act being super active on YouTube before that was even a thing. So <laughs> no one. So like less than 1% of my followers. I think it was like 0.3% have that bell turned <laughs> oh, on. Oh, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I I had um I was really snobby. I was like, oh, I'll never say the like comment, click the bell. I just couldn't bring myself to say it. And then I got like a, a whopping, I think there's maybe like ten percent of people, yeah. which is actually pretty good. Like anything above three percent in the internet's great. But yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I I, I can't believe I've, I've actually got people doing this notification thing. I've never asked anybody to do the bell. So that means that that 0.3% are just some Japanese people who were <laughs> that passionate about having me tell them what to do. They really just didn't want to <laughs> say hello. No, that's okay. <laughs> well, we are going to talk about how you managed to learn Japanese by using YouTube and then later using YouTube to teach Japanese. But before we do that, let's jump into... The news! This week, the Japan Times reports, hope for Tokyo Summer Olympics grows dim. The only thing dimmer than those hopes? The people who still hold them. And our own JBRC Press Club correspondents have followed up on the story. At Jazz Spider reports that officials are now re-evaluating the feasibility of the Olympics based on new information. He quotes an official spokesperson as saying, having only seen the NHK coverage of past Olympics, we hadn't actually been aware that non-Japanese athletes would also be competing. Correspondent Lawrence Dennis investigates what exactly other Japanese media outlets are going to do with the two months worth of programming they'd planned on the misconduct of foreign visitors. That reporting in detail later in the show. If you'd like to join the JBRC Press Club, then follow us at JBRC Pod for next week's assignment. Right, Bobby, what are we going to talk about this week? This week, uh, we'd like to talk about the language learning journey, because that's what it is. It's a journey. Uh, and we've all been through it. Uh, we've all worked on our Japanese. We've all spent hours and hours studying. Uh, but Loretta, you've got so much experience sharing your journey, teaching and helping other people, uh, not only your viewers, but also people in your immediate 
family. So I guess I wanted to ask, uh, what advice would you give to Ollie? That's very rude. <laughs> That's a very rude thing to say, Bobby. He's coming for you. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Put, putting you right on the spot. No, um, <laughs> I would say, so, I mean, so for me, I, I have to preface this with saying that it's been a long time. Mm. I got a couple of comments recently where people were saying, don't forget, guys, whatever advice she has to say, she's one of those slow burn users. You know, she's I was like, what What does that mean? What? Um, <laughs> but basically, they're saying she's been learning this language for so long. She doesn't actually learn it. She's just kind of acquired it over a long, long, long <laughs> haul, which is which is honestly, what learning is. That is literally <laughs> what learning is. I mean, that is, I was like, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I say that true. about my um, children. There is. They're not English learners. They're just slow burn learners. Your kids have not learned to walk. They've just put one foot in front of the other again and again <laughs> and again until lives. it seems like they can walk. <laughs> no, I mean, it's crazy. Like, so w without dating myself completely, I've now been learning Japanese for 20 years, like formally since I my first Japanese class formal course was 20 years ago. Yeah. So wow. it's been a long burn. And I only actually went for the JLPT and all that jazz, I want to say maybe about five years ago, because I figured, oh, I probably should have done this at some point. And uh, so then meanwhile, you have other people, like, for example, my husband, he actually just rolled into Japan, flew in just like easy peasy, lemon squeezy, sat down with a book, studied for three hours every day, and then takes uh, N2 in, what, a year and a half? And boom, he's done. I was like, what was I doing for, for 20 years? But I mean, it is possible to learn the language super quickly. I mean, I, 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 um, Loretta and I were actually connected back in 2012. Some listeners know that I used to run a language learning website and our most popular language was Japanese. And I was astonished that some of our users would be on the site for upwards of six hours a day. Oh, and God. they would cancel their subscription within a year because they'd completed everything. And like, I'm done. They, yeah, and they were they were absolutely at the level where they, where they could take the N2 without much bother at all. So, like, it is definitely a question of, like, the, this idea of putting the hours in is true. And I also think that when you do cram it into a really small amount of time, there's yeah. kind of an extra compounding effect that your brain is thinking about the language so often that then, you know, you pick up little things from here and there. And I also think there's a huge link between, uh, you know, learning Japanese and YouTube, because certainly for me as, as a young Japanese learner, mm. uh, I, there was loads of content available to learn French, right? Because you go to any bookstore and there'd be teach yourself French books and, you know, French bilingual novels and whatever. Whereas Japanese, yeah. you'd be lucky if there was like one Japanese dictionary, which exactly. was written in Romaji. There were no so that's, apps. <laughs> so that's why, like, that's why you're kind of attracted to online and you, you, you do kind of feel like you're part of this subculture and then to see yeah. people like bobby oh, I, I don't think i ever saw his videos i'm afraid to say um but you know but to see, to see people you know to see oh, good gosh. youtubers as well uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is it is super motiv it is super motivating yeah yeah that and that was basically what mine mine was a lot of output and not even trial and error just error and error i would just put myself out there wait for someone to correct me and just repeat whatever they said and go from there you're telling me your strategy was to wait until someone on the internet said you were wrong how could this no, possibly no, no, no. work <laughs> <laughs> well you see there's this thing yeah i guess that pretty much sums it up but there there definitely you know there is um i used to be in the in the uh the school of thought that sitting down and memorizing from textbooks is complete you know mm. whoop, whoop, which i still 
kind of believe, basically, like a textbook is never going to get you speaking. However, at the same time, there's also a certain level of doroku that you have to do, like you have to put in that elbow grease. And I never sat down and wrote 10 kanji every day, except for in high school when I had like sensei basically beating the back of my hand. But like, those were the actual years when I could write the best. I had to write all the time and I was constantly quizzed. (sighs) And ever since then, it's just kind of like... You know, <laughs> my my studying for the JLPT was the same. When I was studying for JLPTs, I I would go through and like write all the kanji out and like write my vocab lists. And my my handwriting was better, and my retention and my ability to like recall from memory and write kanji was very very right? good. It's that rote practice. And now I couldn't I couldn't write family without messing it up fifteen times. However, he can write jibun very well, so that might just be a question of priorities. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard. How how else can you? write passive aggressive stickies to your roommate if you can't write the kanji i'm yeah. really struggling with this one <laughs> but I, I was exactly the same i learned i learned japanese at high school too and ma our exam was the a level and it was all reading and writing and so oh you know, i could basically speak very little because we weren't trained on it but i could write beautifully kanji that now maybe i couldn't even read but after <laughs> living in japan for three or four years I was even at the level of kanji writing where when I moved house, I asked my estate agent when she was asking what kind of apartment would you like? I was like, any address, which is easy to write, please. Like I'll take Daimyo over Hakozaki because I can write those characters. Right. (laughs) You you know, actually, this is important. You have to remember, this is something you're going to write. Or maybe you should have picked a harder address because then that's the one you're going to have to practice for the rest Mm. of your your tenure there. No one's got time for that. So, Loretta, how do you maintain motivation over like a 20 year period with with something like language learning, especially a language learning that can be so frustrating? I would definitely say people and friends. Every time I've dug back into it after a a hateful period has always been for a friend or because of something real, like specifically without getting into it too deeply. This year, I spent a lot of time, more time than usual at home, and I didn't really talk to anybody. And I was like really pissed off, like, gosh, why am I like struggling to speak this language whenever we have work meetings. And I'm like, gosh, like Japanese is really kicking my butt this year. And I realized it was because I wasn't using it at all. I was just Mm. at home, like I had my Netflix subtitles on, but that was about it. But like, basically it wasn't until I decided, okay, I'm going to actually speak with the shop owners. I'm going to order takeout on the phone, not just on Uber Eats or whatever it is. And it was when I started leaning back into speaking with actual people, when I remembered why I was doing it in the first place, which is literally the people Mm. and not for whatever email I was struggling with or something. So I think honestly, when I, when I lose motivation, I just force myself to talk to somebody. And then you get that like initial, oh my gosh, they spoke and I heard and I spoke and they heard and it was magic. It's like Disney yeah. in, in, in your mouth. <laughs> I guess that's just the tagline. <laughs> and it is easy to forget, especially when you're a more advanced learner, that those first six months are magical. Like, especially oh, if you've okay. not ever learned a language before, just yeah. going and saying to someone, and then responding with the time and that being the whole conversation like in that moment you are fluent and it feels great i agree and i disagree because like i i do i do know that that feeling is magical and that's where a lot of the motivation comes from but i also remember having like very distinct moments where i was like when I didn't understand Japanese, I thought it was so magical and so mysterious. And I would sit as an ALT in the staff room and be like, I wonder what they're talking about. And when I got mm. to the level where I could understand what they were talking about, the conversation in the staff room was like, this bread is really soft. 
Bread wasn't bread wasn't this soft last time, was it? Now last time the bread was soft, but it yeah, you're right. It wasn't this soft. I have an identical story (laughs) where I I noticed for the first time I was sat in a Starbucks and I noticed that I was aware of the ambient conversations around Mm. me. Like I think one thing that that people forget that when you live in a foreign country and you don't speak the language, it's a the the country is quieter because you're just not in tuned to all the other conversations around you. You you zone it out. Exactly. But at one point I realized I kind of zoned into a conversation. I I was kind of following what was going on without meaning to. And I had exactly that. I was like, that's cool. Like I was reading something in English, but I was understanding what these two girls next to me were talking about. But they were talking about the different types of barbecue sauce of the major (laughs) fast food chains. And I was like, I was like, Tiffany, it was scoundrous. Yeah. Ollie was like, I can't concentrate on my book because I have too many opinions about this. KFC actually do two types of barbecue sauce one, one, one you get for free and then one you get with the dippers uh, try the other one first before you make your mind up girls those are the kind of moments where you you know people often talk about when do you have your first dream in Japanese or stuff like that but I actually think it's moments where the language is kind of appearing in your life very very subtly <laughs> yeah right yeah. exactly <laughs> So I wanted to ask, uh, since you have so much experience kind of presenting and teaching Japanese uh, to your followers mm. online, you must get so many comments and questions and feedback from them. I'm wondering, like, mm. have you seen any patterns in what people struggle with? I feel like you guys are all, or you two are basically veterans, so you, you're, you like, beyond this. But I, I know that there's... <laughs> Ollie is nodding Ollie's very like, emphatically. Oh, he's like, yeah, obviously. Um, but I, you know, there's definitely that thing everyone talks about, like the intermediate plateau and the the sort of like, I never can speak, even though I can read and write. I, I basically call it like the Genki plateau. Like, <laughs> I feel like everybody hits that point where it never really becomes useful. And then it just kind of fizzles yeah. from there. And the question of like, where do you go from there? And then sometimes it's like, do you really need to go from there? Is it? Do you need to speak Japanese that hard or, yeah. you know? Well, a lot but... of your videos focus on like the reality of things, like how do guys actually talk or like what is it yeah. actually like to spend a day walking around yeah. and speaking in Japanese? Do you think your viewers like get a sense of the language that they wouldn't get just from their studies, from those kinds of uh, exposures? That's what my hope is because I loved listening to podcasts. The, one of the original ways I learned Japanese way back in the day, I worked in a library in the catacombs uh, filing the microfiche, which I'm sure the youngins know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, but like, anyways. A, it's like a normal fish, but smaller. It's like a small fish that plays on an iPhone. Exactly that. No, um, so I was doing this glamorous job and I literally, there's no human interaction for hours on end. So I would just listen to podcasts that I would download off of like SBS in Australia or things like that. But it was all in Japanese. And I would just listen to this radio and try to re- like repeat it to myself mm. deep in the catacombs. And, uh, you know, that that was basically like, that's kind of what kept me going because I realized it was actually real human speaking this language and not just Mary and Takeshi or whatever that guy's name in that book. Yeah. And I'm hoping that with like my YouTube videos, for example, that if there's as many different versions of this language as possible, they'll start to realize there's not just two people speaking Japanese across the pond over there. There's actually like a real life and, you know, a community of people who are doing this thing. And uh, and honestly, there's a little bit of selfishness to it and a bit of self-loathing. Mm. I really want to turn the camera the other way. I'm so tired of 
being yeah. in front of the camera. Yeah. And if I can point it at somebody else who's actually saying something worth listening to, then all I have to do is subtitle. You know, it's yeah. great. I I <laughs> I totally have no idea what you're talking about. But it did remind me. Uh, <laughs> it did remind me. I did a thing a little while back with a guy who's a Japanese guy who's in Sweden and he's married to a Swedish guy and they've got a son together. And so yeah. they're raising their son in Sweden, but um, there's the, the Japanese dad teaches the son Japanese. And he said he'd been teaching him all these years, but had never taken him home to Japan to visit Japan. <gasps> and it wasn't until his like five, six year old son went to Japan for the first time where he was like, oh, this isn't just something that dad does. This is a language yeah. <laughs> that other people in the world speak and it's a tool and it's useful. But this is a mentality which I think beginner learners should have. And actually, I've been helping some people doing some one-on-one -on -one tutoring with Japanese, like beginner learners. And the thing which I try and tell them is, you have every right to speak the language, right? Like, Japanese is not something that only Japanese people use. It's like, if you're forming a basic sentence yourself, and it's functional, and you get what you want, then you're entitled to do that. And I think the mentality of fluency is something that has to be achieved, and it's a very, very long way away, can be super demotivational. But thinking of fluency yeah. as something situational is like, the Japanese language is for me as well. And if I get it, if I balls it up and my pronunciation's wrong and I get the wrong word, as long as I'm using it and getting what I want out of it, then that's valid. I think it's so weird that you think the Westerners need to be told that. Because one thing that I always notice is that like Westerners <laughs> will come over and like they won't know any other phrases besides konnichiwa and watashi no onamae wa Brian-san desu. <laughs> And they'll walk around going, I speak Japanese, I speak Japanese, which I think I think is great. I think like Japanese people need that level of confidence to not know what yeah. the hell you're talking about, but still say it anyway to yeah. progress. Yes. I think fundamentally, though, it's also a question of speed. And I've been doing some interviews for this project, which I've been doing with Philip, who Loretta knows, who was the guy that I used to run this hey, old website Hey, my old with. buddy. <laughs> yeah, right? It's so cool. It's it's like Loretta didn't even know that we knew each other. She was like, oh, you, you might you might know this guy, Philip. Cool guy. I was like, yeah, I've literally worked with him for a decade. We're sick of each other. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here I am coming in late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but, uh, but Philip and I have just started a new project where we interview like expert language learners. And there's this guy called Tom, who I interviewed, who's a language coach teaching French and he's got a really interesting approach to learning languages which is only care about your speed care about nothing else as a beginner but can you get there quickly and he's like mm. if you want to measure your fluency don't measure kanji don't measure like uh, the amount of vocabulary you've learned obviously all that's important but just how quickly can it come out your mouth and the reason mm. I think that's really interesting is the times when you feel defeated are when the person that you're speaking to particularly a Japanese person gives up Right, like you're you're struggling to yeah. find the yes. word, and then they go when they ah, suddenly switch to yeah, English. Yeah, fuck it, like, we'll go to English. <laughs> exactly. Whereas if you can just keep that kind of force of momentum going, right, and not yeah. give them a chance to switch back, then maybe you win. This explains so much about you. <laughs> oh, this resonates see, with me. I I feel like I feel like I'm like totally a cheater. I have like a bunch of cheat codes I downloaded for Japanese because I even made a video about this of what to say in the first three seconds so it looks like you know what you're talking about. A good hack which I always use was tashkani, because tashkani can kind of yeah. mean whatever it needs to buy you time, right? Yeah. Like, you, either even if someone's not saying an opinion, you can still kind of get away with a tashkani, and. I'm not sure how even to translate Tashkani in English. It means it means certainly it's like, or yeah, definitely. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we've talked a little bit about kind of like the the tips and things and the advice that you'd have for people who watch your YouTube channel. But uh, you had a really interesting experience where you were over here for a little while and learning the language for a long time. And then your husband came and joined you and started like a journey as a beginner. And so I'm kind of wondering, like, was there a difference in in how you approached kind of like how you walk people through learning Japanese on your YouTube channel and how you walked through somebody who was sharing your house and your life. Did you tell your husband to like and subscribe at the end of each day? <laughs> at the end of every conversation, I was like, No. So it was, um, there was definitely some, a, a weird give and take because I, t- I remember when Boomer first started learning Japanese, I was like, that's wrong. Your stroke order is wrong. Your, you know, the, your balance of your kanji is wrong. You'll never learn to speak Japanese if you don't start with the pronunciation and the stroke orders and the radicals. He's like, you got to be kidding me. Absolutely not. And I kind of came at him with this like very academic perfectionist method. And then he was like, no, I'm just going to do it my way. And then we flipped where he went full on like rote memorization. Mm. Like, I'm just going to memorize it all. And I was like, just do whatever you want. You need to learn to speak. So there are a couple comments where we did videos together and people <laughs> were commenting like, you're so mean. Gosh, like you're really strict with Boomer. I was like, oh, gosh, did that come out? So there's a little bit of a different relationship between the people who are watching on YouTube where you can kind of like have some objectivity and like step step back from it and be like, just do whatever you want with it. But when it's like, yeah. When it's somebody in your life, you're like, we got to pay the rent. When you're in my home, you better, you better buckle down and pay. Yeah, pretty much. I'm like, you got two years, Brett. No, it's a whole different air over here. <laughs> and how has he progressed? Uh, so he just took the JLPT N2. We're waiting on the results for that. But I'm pretty sure he passed because this is like his wheelhouse is uh, memorizing. He actually took it all on his own and did what most people try not to do. He actually sat down and studied for like three hours every day for two years straight. And that actually really worked for him. But, um, you know, it's also this year was a great opportunity because staying at home, you get all the chances to do that more so so you're the senpai to his kohai and there's a risk it seems that he's going to become better than you so do you have any advice for bobby on how to deal with (laughs) me eventually becoming better than him absolutely not the the more the more japanese you learn the more you learn to shut up (laughs) (laughs) tashkani Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 68 of Japan by River Cruise. If you're new to the show, then don't forget to subscribe. If you're old to the show, then you can get extra bits by becoming a member at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Japan by River Cruise. And if you're interested in my new little side project, uh, it's languagehacks.xyz. There'll be a link in the description for the cheapest price. Also, thank you so much to our guest this week, Loretta Scott, a.k.a. Kemushi-chan. Loretta, everything on your YouTube channel is gold, but if someone's never seen your videos or is looking to start their Japanese language learning journey, where would you suggest they start with your videos? I would say start anywhere with the Speaking with Strangers series or videos. You'll have a lot of fun with those. Yeah, those are a lot of fun. Uh, So is our podcast. So come back and we will see you next week.